Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. A special welcome if you're visiting today, and it's lovely to have Peter and Elaine with us again, uh, and also to welcome uh, Carol and Sean, who are here especially for the blessing of Nguero. Please stay and have a cup of tea or coffee with us at the end of this service. Just turn left outside the door, and then just a few yards down the corridor, you'll find our refreshment station. Our service this morning will be led by our Minister Katrina, and everything we need to follow the service is both on the printed sheet of paper you were given. Thank you, Anne. You probably should have said that this morning's service is led by Sam the Seal, because I'm likely to start coughing at some point and, and sound more like a seal or a sea lion than a human being. But hey-ho. Our call to worship comes from the letter to the, the Hebrew church. Since, therefore, the children share flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death and free those who all their lives had been held in slavery by the fear of death. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be merciful and faithful as a high priest in the service of God. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. And so on this Sunday, when we are, in a way, celebrating the whole of life, which is a great thing to be able to do, our opening hymn, Lord of Our Growing Years. And if you're able and would like to, you're invited to stand as we sing.
Our prayers of approach this morning are going to include some short spaces of silence in which we can bring our own prayers, thoughts and responses to God. And at the end of the guided prayer, we will join together in the Lord's Prayer. And as usual in this place, you are invited to do that in your own first language and the version with which you are most familiar. So let's pray together. Loving God, on this new morning, as we gather in the name of your Son, Jesus, we come to you with our prayers of praise and adoration. As we look back over a week in which there was a blue blood supermoon, as we see the first hints of new growth in gardens and parks, and as we have celebrated and will celebrate special events with others, we bring you our thanks and praise for the wonder of creation and of life. As we look back over the week, we remember the moments when our hearts were glad the moments we laughed, the moments our breath was taken away, the moments when it felt good to be alive. We also know that not everything has been great. And so we also offer to you the moments that we felt sad or angry, frustrated, unhappy, disappointed or even disillusioned. Even our best efforts are flawed. We fall short of the good we hope to achieve and sometimes deliberately make choices that hurt or harm. As we take a few moments to offer those to you, help us also to know your forgiveness. Welcomed, accepted, forgiven and renewed, we gather our prayers with those of countless others as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. <coughs>
I'm going to invite Tia and Ngweru and Carol and any other members of the family to come and join me at the front now. <coughs> now Ngweru is a little bit embarrassed about this because he's not a baby. It's all right with babies. <laughs> not too bad with toddlers. Um, Bonnie was a toddler and Aidan, do you remember Aidan was a toddler as well? Yep. Well, not a little bit bigger than a toddler actually. Not quite as old as Ngweru but get in there. So you're very brave Ngweru um, and we appreciate that very much. It is always a joy to welcome new people into the family of the church, to celebrate with them and to ask God's blessing for them. Today it's our special pleasure to welcome Ngweru to thank God for him and to promise to support his family in the years ahead. And so I ask you, Tia, what name have you chosen for your son? Ogweru. And this means divine glory or the glory of God in, what was your language again? The Tuboka language from north of Malawi. So it's a beautiful name and, and a lot to live up to, isn't it? We're going to listen to some words of scripture that Tia has chosen for her son. And these come from the book of the prophet Isaiah. <coughs> While I was in my mother's womb, he recorded my name. He made my tongue like a sharp sword and hid me in the palm of his hand. He made me like a sharpened arrow and hid me in his quiver. I also have made you a light for the nations so that you would save people all over the world. So that's a scripture you can come back to as you grow up and see what you think it means, isn't it? So I've got some questions for Tia. Do you thank God for his gift of unwary? And do you accept the joys and duties of parenthood, promising to love and to care for him? I do. Do you promise to bring up your child within the Christian community and to share your own faith with him? I do. Carol, I've got uh, some questions for you. Do you promise to help Tia fulfil the vows she has just made by becoming Mwaru's godmother and to share with them in this journey of faith? I do. Do you promise to encourage, support and give love and care to Mwaru? I do. Fantastic. Now, if this is your usual place of worship on a Sunday, and if you're able to, I'm going to invite you, if you would, to stand up because I'm going to ask you to make a promise. You just have to say we do if you agree with it. And it's try we try to make it realistic, so we do have a little bit of a um, if language in it. So do you promise, insofar as you are able, to offer to Unweru and his family your love and care and to join with his mum in sharing our Christian faith. We do. Excellent. So I'm now going to say a prayer 
for and worry. You may sit down. So, and worry. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and always. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. And can we applaud that? It's always part of our practice here when we present a child to ask the parent or parents or carers or whoever it is to choose a hymn or a song that they would like. Um, Tia has chosen a very beautiful song. It was, until I listened to it, completely unknown to me. And it's not in any of the books I've got. And I have a shelf full of hymn books. But we do have a recording of it. So we're going to listen to that now. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are the cold.
think that's a very wonderful message there, isn't it? That we need no longer be held in slavery by fear because we are all of us children of God. So thank you for introducing us to that song, Tia. And now our young people and children are going to go to continue to explore in their classes and groups. reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 40. The time came for Joseph and Mary to perform the ceremony of purification, as the law of Moses commanded. So they took the child to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be dedicated to the Lord. They also went to offer a sacrifice of a pair of doves or two young pigeons, as required by the law of the Lord. At that time, there was a man named Simeon living in Jerusalem. He was a good, God-fearing man and was waiting for Israel to be saved. The Holy Spirit was with him and had assured him that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's promised Messiah. Led by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple. When the parents brought the child Jesus into the temple to do for him what the law required, (coughs) Simeon took the child in his arms and gave thanks to God. Now, Lord, you have kept your promise, and you may let your servant go in peace. With mine own eyes I have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light to reveal your will to the Gentiles and bring glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at the things Simeon said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is chosen by God for the destruction and the salvation of many in Israel. He will be a sign from God which many people will speak against and so reveal their secret thoughts. And sorrow, like a sharp sword, will break your own heart. There was a very old prophet, a widow named Anna, daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She had been married for only seven years and was now 84 years old. She never left the temple. Day and night she worshipped God, fasting and praying. That very same hour she arrived and gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were waiting for God to set Jerusalem free. When Joseph and Mary had finished doing all that was required by the law of the Lord, they returned to their hometown of Nazareth in Galilee. The child grew and became strong. He was full of wisdom, 
and God's blessings were upon him. This is a very special weekend for us in this local church. It's a joyful weekend. We celebrate with Mweru and his family the gift of a life just beginning, with all the hope and excitement that brings. And we have celebrated with Miss, uh, Miss Allen, Irene, who has attained the age of 100. A long life, a long fulfilling life, employed in the service of her Lord. And it's also the weekend in which we began our baptism preparation classes. (coughs) Excuse me. And I had a wonderful afternoon yesterday with Sylvia, Esan, Anis, Ali and Elham exploring scripture, discussing what it meant and praying together. They asked some incredibly useful and challenging questions. And I didn't have the answer to most of them, it has to be said. But among those questions was why we know so little about Jesus' childhood and early life. And it's a good question, isn't it? I don't know the answer, except that nobody thought to write it down. And why was he so old, at the age of about 33, or 30, 30 to 33, somewhere around there, when he was exercising his ministry? I don't actually think that's very old, but I get the the point of the question. And I don't know the answer to that one either. Some of it would be cultural and historic. But again, nobody wrote it down. But I was able to point to these stories at the start of Luke's Gospel that give us some very small glimpses into the childhood and early life of Jesus. Reflecting on these stories, or this story, in the light of our story and the story of the churches of our visitors and the lives of our visitors, of a simple ritual blessing for a child starting out on life, and of a joyful societal ritual to celebrate a big birthday, and about the rituals that the Big C Church has practiced for 2,000 years, that's been quite interesting. This is a story about rituals and it's a story about people. First of all, it is a story about people like us, all ages and stages of life, seeking to be faithful to God in a place and a time where there were other dominant ideologies. Judaism was tolerated within the Roman Empire 
And temple worship continued until the destruction of Jerusalem in the, around about AD 86, if I remember correctly. But this outpost of the empire was a very busy trade route and lots of people of different nationalities and worldviews would pass through on their way to, to do trade or to, to visit places or people to learn what was going on. So it wasn't so very different from the cosmopolitan cities of our own time. Not so very different from Glasgow. And I think that on its own should be an encouragement to us. It reminds us, as the, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, there is nothing new under the sun. The details may be different, but the same questions, the same concerns, the same fears, and the same hope, joy and aspirations were as real for the people then as they are for us now. So it's a story for all time. And it's a story for our time. And it's also a story about religious rituals. And it's actually also about inclusion and exclusion. We have to dig a bit deeper to discover some of that. Luke, perhaps to spare the blushes of his readers, omits any details or explanations of these rituals. And it is possible that his readers would have been familiar with what was involved in these Jewish ceremonies. For most present-day readers, though, it's very easy to to read what it says in, in the Gospel and not even think about the significance of what was going on. In a way, the story starts just before the passage we heard read because Luke recalls an earlier ritual that was carried out for Jesus. It says this simply in one sentence. After eight days had passed since his birth, it was time to circumcise the child and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Two rituals there. Firstly, from the time of Moses, newborn Jewish boys, too young to have a clue what was happening to them, were circumcised as a sign and symbol of their inclusion within the covenant relationship that existed between the Jews and Yahweh. And at the same time, they were formally named. And that had at least two significances to it. Firstly, names were hugely important. To name a child was to express something of your hope and expectations, perhaps the kind of character you thought you'd like them to have. Or maybe even to express the circumstances in which the child was born. If you ever read the Old Testament and look at the footnotes, you'll find this name means such and such. So you didn't choose a name because you liked it. You chose a name for what it symbolised. And I'm guessing there's some of that in the choice of Unwery's name. That this is an important name. It, It has something important to us. But also, at the time that Jesus was born, the dominant Roman culture had a very low view of childhood. In fact, they often didn't give children a name until they were at least five or six years old. What was the point of naming this thing if it might die? And they didn't even think they were human, really. They thought they were animals. So if it got to about the age of five, you'd give it a name. 
And therefore, to give that name, which, let's face it, some of the Roman names weren't very brilliant, were they? Oh, let's call that one number six, shall we? That kind of thing. But to give the child a name said that their life had value. It said also that they were unique, even if they were number six, that they had an identity. So naming this child was a really important act. It said they mattered, it said you had hopes and dreams for them, and it said they were unique and valuable. Now, I don't know about you, but I am extremely grateful that there is no Christian ritual that requires me to carry out surgical procedures, or any of us to have them carried out upon us. But we do delight to celebrate with parents in the joy of new life or young life, recognising that even before anybody is old enough to know what's going on or to understand anything of faith, God in grace is already reaching out to draw them into the covenant. And the naming aspect we see in this story of Jesus is something that we incorporate into our Baptist blessing service because we think names are important too. Not necessarily because of the literal meaning, which probably as well, because mine means pure and clean. And if you saw my house, you'd know that the latter of those is rarely true. But because we recognise that to name somebody says you value them. We're saying you have worth, you are important, and you are unique. And to do this in the context of worship is to say, and you are a child of God. That's what was in the song. I am a child of God. So we are all named and loved and cherished. And so we practice these rituals that affirm the value of infants and children in our community of faith. And in doing that, we also accept responsibility to make that meaningful. That's why we have Sunday school and Bible class and crash. That's why we do all age services with creative things that people don't always like. Because we're saying everybody matters and what helps everybody to grow is important within our church. This act, if you like, is a ritual of inclusion. It draws us all in together. But when we pick up the story, a month has gone by since Jesus was born, and Mary and Joseph have gone to the temple to complete two other Jewish rituals. One which was required of all women who had given birth, and the other that was specifically related to a firstborn son. Both of them are deeply rooted in the law of Moses, and neither of them has a contemporary equivalent in Christian practice, for which I think I'm probably quite grateful. According to the ancient custom, going back to the time of Moses, parents had to buy back their first son from God at the cost of five silver shekels. The practice of this begins in the Exodus story and the, the plague of the firstborn and then the requirement of God to say, and I want all, all your firstborns, firstborns of all animal species, including humans. But it was expressed in a specific way. So the clean animals, the sheep, the cattle, the goats, 
the ones they could eat. That meant you took the firstborn calf or kid or lamb and you slaughtered it and offered it to God as a sacrifice. But God didn't want human sacrifice and God didn't want the unclean species to be sacrificed either. So if you happen to have a pet cat or a pet rabbit, you didn't have to sacrifice its young. Instead, you made a payment in money to the temple and that was used for the work of the temple. Five shekels. Um, I did a bit of research and that on a minimum wage would be about two weeks wages of minimum wage. So if you were employed for about 30 hours a week on the minimum wage, which is less than eight quid still, um, that's the kind of amount it was. So it's a lot for a peasant family to find, two weeks wages, as a kind of a tax on the firstborn. I don't think we should let Mrs May know about that one. And probably we don't really want the church to take that one too seriously either. We wouldn't like to think of taxing people on their firstborns. But that was part of what they did. They, they bought the child back from God because that, that child was God's by right in their understanding. And then under Jewish ceremonial law, Mary would have had to go under a ritual of, of cleaning. She would be ritually unclean for a prescribed period from the time of Jesus' birth. And it depended whether you had a son or a daughter, how long you were ritually unclean. And apparently having a daughter made you more ritually unclean because you were unclean for longer. (coughs) And at the end of that, you had to go to the temple and make sacrifices in order to be drawn back in. I think there is a sense in which Mary becomes a symbol of all people who have been judged to be unclean and needed to be brought back into the community. Because in Jewish culture of that time, and probably still today, you were unclean if you touched a dead body. You were unclean if you vomited. You were unclean if you had an infectious disease. You were unclean if you were a woman who menstruated. And many, many more things. And whilst there are good reasons why people might choose to exclude themselves from public worship if they're unwell or if they're recovering from surgery or childbirth in order to rest, it does sound to us utterly preposterous that that would exclude them from the community. We wouldn't do that. We would be sending cards or taking flowers We might even offer to do some practical tasks to help out. But it does pose a question for us as to who we might think is unclean. Or what somebody might do that would cause us to say, well, actually, do you know what? You need to step away for a while. Domestic violence, child cruelty, adultery... What about selfishness, gossip, greed? I don't have any answers. But if nothing else, this ritual expresses the importance of being able to be part of the faith community. And it encourages us to think about how we achieve that in our own time. Who is it who we 
even unintentionally exclude from worship? And what are the hurdles we put in the way of those who would love to be part of our job? Sorry, part of our church, part of our job, part of our church. What do we do that stops people getting, who would like to be part of our church, leaves them outside, because then it stays nice how we like it, because that would be the clean way for church to be. They're hard questions, and they're questions we continue to ponder. So, if we have rejected or discontinued most of these Jewish rituals, what are the rituals that are important to the Christian church? Well, in Protestant nonconformist churches, of which we are one, there are really two, baptism and communion. And the main reason we do those is because Jesus told us to. And that's why it's so very exciting for us as a church to have no less than five people who are preparing to respond to that call of Jesus on their life and be baptised. It's a symbol ritual, and it is a ritual of inclusion. So too is the communion, the gathering around the table to remember. Jesus calls us to share our lives together, to include rather than to exclude, to take down barriers rather than to put them up. And the symbol of welcome, hospitality, togetherness and sharing are so important in all that we do together. Lastly, this is a story that celebrates the faithfulness and resilience of old people. Two very old people, Anna, who is a prophetess and a widow, Luke and Simeon, who is probably a priest. And they've waited and watched for many, many years, hoping that Messiah would come. And life can't have been easy living under Rome and with some kind of not very helpful Jewish kings who were answerable to Rome. And they will have experienced many disappointments. Almost certainly they will have seen would-be messiahs rise up, gather followers and then be executed on one of the many crosses that lined the roads. But now, finally, right at the end of their lives, something tells them that this is the day. And this must be the spirit of God moving in them. They are drawn to this peasant boy, baby, born to a young mother and a husband who can only afford two pigeons for the sacrifices. These are not wealthy people. And the boy has been given the name Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, a name that means God saves. So now Simeon feels he can die content. His life's work is achieved. And Anna, she spreads the word to anybody who will listen. Their hope is restored. And these good, faithful servants are able to conclude their lives. Surely this story is a reminder of the debt of gratitude that we owe to the older generation. The people who have kept the faith despite disappointments, who have passed on the stories of Jesus 
and maintain the rituals of worship for us to share together. How can we not have glimpsed something of Anna or even of Simeon in our own Methallan, in our own Lilith, in our own Graham? These people who have lived long lives, who have loved others, cared for the least and the lost, and that that faith still inspires their lives today. So, a story about all ages and stages of life, from an infant unable to express an opinion, to a new mother with a peasant husband, reintegrating with the faith community after a time of forced seclusion, to an elderly priest and an elderly laywoman whose faithfulness has brought them to this moment. It's almost like a snapshot of temple life, a community of all ages, a messy community of those who are firmly on the inside and those who, for whatever reason, seem to be on the outside. It's a community of hope in which new life is celebrated and old stories are retold. It's a community of real people. It's a community a bit like us. To welcome and bless and worry today has been really special. And I do thank you, Tia, for sharing that with us. Celebrating with Miss Allen yesterday was a joy and a privilege. I went to see her in the morning because I couldn't make it to her party. So she checked up on what we were doing at Friday Friendship because that's what she does. But she was also just having a lovely day. And that was a joy. And sharing in baptising our friends in a few weeks is going to be special. These rituals, whether they are Christian or not so Christian, are important. They mark the way on our journey. They are the high points that we delight in. But they're not the end. They're just part of that ongoing journey. It's only in the context of our messy all-age community that the promises that are made can find their fulfilment as we learn to live together and to continue to follow in the footsteps of the Jesus who would go back to that temple many more times in his life. This is his story, but it is also our story. And so we're going to sing a hymn that tells something of the story of the Jesus who returned to the temple.
Brothers and sisters, let us pray. Loving parent God, on this happy day, we present to you our prayers of intercession. Usually, we, or to be honest, I, pray on many aspects of our world, but this time we concentrate on the young, be they babies, toddlers, adolescents, teenagers or young adults. They live in a difficult, ever-changing, dangerous world, and we worry about their present and their future. Some of us do so as parents, others as fond observers. We know that you, who gave your son to our world, to exist in flesh and blood and bone, to grow from a baby to an adult, brought up by a God-fearing surrogate father who loved him and raised him to be the perfect man he became, understand our fears and hopes and concerns. In a time when children were largely ignored, Jesus taught of their value, of their ability to see the world and its problems afresh. Let us not forget their value in finding new solution to problems, we pray. We pray that you will comfort children who have been abused and mistreated and let them know there is still goodness in the world and that the evil of others is not their fault. Let them be aware of their high worth to you and to us all. We pray for the children who have lost their parents through acts of war and violence. Comfort and strengthen them in their grief and loneliness, we pray. We pray for the children torn from their ancestral homes and sent to wander the highways and byways of our world. Bring them to a safe place, we beg you. We pray for children in the so-called affluent societies who find themselves without meaningful work, existing on government handouts. Give them hope of a more productive, life-enhancing future. We pray for the children who do well at school, go on to university and then find at the end of their courses there is no suitable work for them. Give them hope, Lord, they can one day carry on in the fields of learning they chose. We pray for the children morally confused by the shallow values of our celebrity-obsessed society. Show them your eternal values of compassion and teach them the value of effort in gaining skills so they can feel of worth to themselves and their fellow beings. We pray for the children who live in households without parental love because their parents are sick, damaged by drugs and other abuse. Teach them your love and give them the hope they will find and give love for themselves. 
We pray for the youth of our world without work, without ambition, who follow the examples of others into crime and violence because no one has taught them otherwise and they wish to be like the only friends they have. Stir their minds to look and think and judge for themselves and see perhaps another better way. We pray for the children of our world troubled by gender and sexual orientation issues. Assure them you do not discriminate. Your love embraces all. We pray for the sick children of our world. Let them have the medical help they need, no matter in what country they live, whether they be rich or poor. We pray for the children of our world, pressured by religious leaders with political agendas which lead those children to harm themselves and others. Show them the way of peace and conciliation. Teach them freedom of thought is for everybody, not just for them, and that the beliefs of others are due respect. We pray for the starving children of our world. We who live in a throwaway, sell-by-a-certain-date society, we know there is food in plenty. Guide us in getting it to where it is needed and not into a landfill. We pray for the children of our world brought up in loving families who look at the world around them and fear for the future for themselves and for the children they may have. Reassure them that they have the power to change the world for the better. We pray that children near to us and afar may be blessed with happy childhoods and meaningful adult lives. Lord, we pray that you will give us the power and the strength to do all we can to ensure the children we are responsible for, the children we know as loving observers, the children worldwide to whom we give acts of charity, are given the means to live good, productive, worthwhile lives. Theirs is the future. Lord, who gave your Son for our salvation, aid us in giving children everywhere. A good example of how to live in harmony with others. And lastly, Lord, to the children we know and the children we don't know, we pray that you say and we say, child of God, no love and laughter and be strengthened in adversity by divine love. All this we ask, God, in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We come to this table, to Jesus' table, just as we are. Some of us are weary, exhausted in body, mind or spirit. Some of us are wary, unsure whether we will find the welcome we seek. Some of us are burdened with anxiety, fear or regret. Some of us may be bewildered, not quite sure what to think. To all of us, to each one of us, Jesus says, come, find rest and receive refreshment for your journey. The Apostle Paul reminds us how and why this ritual began. He writes, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. A simple thing. A meal in which a betrayer a denier, a doubter, and others about whom we know very little shared food with the one who would die for all of them. It's a simple thing. A command to go on breaking bread and drinking wine in community to remember and to retell the story that inspires our faith. And so we follow Jesus' example first with a simple prayer. God of all creation, thank you that you know us, name us, and value us just as we are. God of all redemption, thank you that you forgive us and restore us over and over again. God of all sustenance, thank you for the bread and the wine we share in memory of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.
so Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he shared it with his friends and commanded them to continue to do this and to tell the story and to remember. We eat as we receive. And at the end of the meal, Jesus took a cup of wine and said, this is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, remember me. And so because this was his command to the whole church, it is our custom and practice to drink together as a symbol of that unity. And so we will retain our glasses that we might do so. And so as a community, as part of the body of Christ, part of the church in all times and all places, let's drink together in faith and with thanksgiving. Jesus said, take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Perhaps we would like this moment to last. Perhaps we wish to linger. But it cannot and we cannot. So we pray. Gentle, humble Jesus, as we rise from this table to return to the everyday, help us to accept the burden you entrust to us, knowing that you accompany us every step of our life's journey. Amen.
old or young or in between, certain or doubting or confused, accepted and loved by you, our Lord, may we go from here to speak and to be good news now and always. Thank you.